Midlife Moxie. We are a community and podcast all about midlife women making this one of the best seasons of their lives. Well, I'm one of your hosts, Gail. And I'm Christina. We're going to be sharing our stories, struggles, and joys while bringing you experts on topics that you care about. And we're going to do it while having a whole lot of fun. So buckle up, girls. Let's get our mock on. Hey, Christina, hey. how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? It's Monday again Monday. for us. Monday. Monday fun day is what we drop. should say. Monday fun day. For those that don't know, we drop the episodes on Tuesday, but we record on Mondays. <laughs> and we stop talking about current events because we never know if it's going to air tomorrow <laughs> or three months from now. So we just stop that. But um, we never know what's going to have happened the weekend. I feel a little bit like I got run over by a truck, but that's okay. How are you? I'm I'm good. I had a, a nice little time at the at the beach and I got to fly a kite and that was awesome. So we know that was the lifelong yep. dream of Christina was to fly yep. a kite on the yep. beach. Long story. Yep. That that should be an episode. <laughs> it should be. A dream to fly a kite. <laughs> yes. Well, today I feel like we're gonna get educated. Mm. I'm actually really y'all, we excited. got somebody with letters. Yeah, yeah I'm really letters excited. around the name. That's always a good clue you're gonna get educated, right? When they've got letters. We have no letters. <laughs> None. <laughs> None. <laughs> We're just cute and funny. Um, but we can find people with letters, right? Mm-hmm, we sure can. We have we have that skill set. Well, today we're gonna talk about marriage and relationships. And who doesn't want to learn about those two things? One or the other, usually. I mean, we're all, um, it seems like as humans, we are created to seek partnership and companionship with other people. Yeah. I know the introverts are all saying, no, I'm not, but. <laughs> no, I think, I, you know, here's the fun fun thing is that um, I think even introverts desire connection right? Desire relationships and desire to find that person. Um, And sometimes it's fairly interesting. So I'm I'm excited to talk to Dr. Jackie about how introverts show up in marriages and in relationships, you know, because... My my husband's introverted and it is different what he needs. Well, let's get to it (laughs) and welcome our guest, Dr. Jackie Black. Jackie, welcome to Midlife Moxie. Thank you so much. It is great to be here with you. And y'all, Dr. Jackie is very proper and very professional. Mm. So I hope, Dr. Jackie, that you are ready for what's about to hit you. I'm ready. Because <laughs> the Moxie girls get a little crazy. So I don't know where this is going to go today when we start talking about marriage and anything could happen. But you've been doing work in the area of relationships and marriage for a very, very long time. Tell us a about that. A very, very long time. And I have worked with over a thousand couples in eight countries. Wow. Yeah. And I currently work in eight time zones. Time zones mm-hmm. are different than countries. Mm-hmm. But um, so I have clients in probably four or five countries and eight Okay. So, so it's a bit of a shuffle. And you, got, you have me uh, curious a little bit here. So uh, I want to know... And this might be something we we talk about a little bit later, but 
you you just said that you work with eight different like eight different countries, right? So I'm wondering, do people in other countries do things differently in marriages and relationships? Read my mind. <laughs> I, know, I was just like, yes. wait a minute, that's exciting. So um, yeah, tell tell us a little bit about that. The the issues, the things that come up, the things that create problems. Uh, or tension, the ways that people connect and are intimate are very, very similar. Oh, good. Um, There are some cultural differences um, in the Middle East, for example. I have a lot of clients in the Middle East. Uh, But Western Europe, um, the UK, Australia, North America, US and Canada, um, very, very similar the differences, this is so interesting that I never have a chance to talk about. The differences are generational, not geographical. Oh, wow. We love to talk mm-hmm. about things that one talks about here on Midlife Moxie. So I love that you dropped that. And if there's anything else that you just feel like you haven't been able to say anywhere else, here's yeah. the place, Dr. Go, go for it. We give you carte blanche. Oh. Go ahead, girl. So you've been doing this for how many years? Uh, 35 years. 35 years. I mean, I'm feeling like you've got some goods. 35 years around the globe. I feel like we're going to get the real goods today. And I wanted to say for our listeners, we may use the term marriage, but we're going to, I hope you're understanding we are talking about marriage and relationships. Marriage can be a little different with the legalities, but we're not here to exclude anyone. And so if you're not married, don't turn this off. There's going to be things for you. We're going to talk about it all. So um, training, special expertise. How'd you get here, Dr. Jackie? Uh, So I managed high-rise office buildings for pension funds. Exciting. And uh, I I know you you can see that you can see the connection, right? Yeah, right. Easy jump, easy jump. And um, I fell into the world of grief and loss by going to a, a conference and supporting a friend, an AA conference. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to go by herself. And she said, will you come with me? And I was like, to an AA conference? Okay. Sounds like They're a good time. Um, sounds like and I, love, I love an AA conference. And girl, I met so. speakers. I did keynotes. Uh, I didn't do any of the breakout sessions or anything, but I, the, the speakers were amazing. And they were talking about grief, grief and loss. Mm-hmm. And uh, one one of them. And I just sat there the whole time and kept thinking, oh, my God, that's what's wrong with me. Um, meaning that it, it really explained a lot of the unhappiness and the angst and a lot of the, the stuff that, that I was experiencing. So I started working with him sort of as a peer facilitator, got people coffee and lunch and, you know, learned. And uh, ultimately started to facilitate a little bit. And um, then from there, I went to ADEC, which is the Association of Death Education and Counseling. And that's where I did a lot of training, a lot of training. Uh, And my mentors there were amazing and said, you need to go back to school and get your PhD. I was like, oh, my God. Here I have a corporate career, and I loved the work I was doing. I felt like I was home. And they're saying, you're really talented and skilled and you need to get your PhD. And it was interesting that I I went and did a conference in Chicago 
it was in LA, but he was from Chicago, Dr. Ken Moses, who is world famous for being in the grief and loss world. And I met him and uh, I actually stopped him as I was walking through the lobby on a break the first of three days. And I said, this is amazing. He said, I see your head nodding up and down that you're really relating to this. And he said, are, are you a psychologist? I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to do that. I don't want to lose a lot of the things that I have. And, and he said, if you want to do that, if you want to get your PhD, I will hold your hand. I will walk you through it. And I'll make sure that the ways that you are seeing the world are preserved and that you don't fall into that, that world. Because I was afraid that I would hear a lot of things, a lot of theories and things, and that I would lose the way that I saw the world and saw people uh, and saw feelings and wanted to hold the space for people and had to learn to do that through ADEC. I love when, and so you know, Christina and I are both believers, so we would say God, some people would say higher power, whatever, but that you are just led when when things line up in those kind of strange ways that's kind of when i always feel like uh, this is definitely what i'm supposed to be doing because there's no other way this would have come together like this now, dr jackie before we go on do you have on some kind of gorgeous dangly bracelet i hear something I, shaking oh yeah no you know it's my ring that shakes oh is there it's any so cute. is it possible so, is it stuck on there like some of mine or can you slip that off I can easily take it off. I'm so I just sorry. don't know. It's okay. I just don't want them, them to miss a thing that you have to say. And our editor's already been fired, so he's really not going to like it if we bring him that for his last <laughs> few episodes. <laughs> so, no problem. Our audience is mostly midlifers. And Christina and I are both in midlife now. Christina and I are very different. She's still a newlywed. I mean, look at her get all slimy when she talks oh. about the calf. Woo. I do. And I've been I married do. for almost 24 years, but I still get excited when I talk about Big Dan. So <laughs> we want to talk about, though, we want a lot of our conversation to swing to this season of life because we think there's some things that are germane to this season and very interesting in this season about our relationships, our marriages. So what are some common concerns or issues that midlife couples face that might be a little different than other seasons of our life. And can you talk about like some statistics for this demographic? Because it feels to me, and Christine and I have talked about this, we kind of make the assumption that divorce can be kind of high in this season. True? Not true? Not any more or less than any other uh, age group except millennials. Their relationships are so rock solid. They talk about sex easily. They have the highest sexual satisfaction of any group of people. Uh, they are not intimidated by each other's careers. It will be very interesting over the next couple of years, maybe decade, decade and a half, to really watch their marriages. Uh, because right now, as I say, they have the highest level of satisfaction, sexual satisfaction, emotional satisfaction. And they one of the hallmarks of their relationships is that they talk about everything. Oh, it's ad nauseum. Really- ad nauseum. We have millennial children. Like, I, I do. I have two. <laughs> well, I think now... I think our, our, well, your Jordan is, is yeah, millennial, but I think that, um, I think that, uh, our, our youngest are Gen Z's because mm-hmm. the, the cutoff. So I wonder how their relationships will, will, um, 
But I really don't well care. I want to talk about us, Christina. <laughs> <laughs> we well, want to talk it, about us. All, to heck with it, them. They do plenty I, of talking. No, totally. And and I do want to just, you know, dive into the midlife space because I think that when we show up for the next generation, we can, you know, impart wisdom to them. And so we got to get us fixed and together. <laughs> we are challenging uh, the paradigm. The mm-hmm. para- right. The paradigm has been in place since the 50s, the paradigm that is in the process of being shifted. Uh, and we're not, we haven't shifted out of it because midlife marriages can be, not always, I don't want to paint all midlife marriages with a broad brush, but midlife marriages tend to still be role regulated. Um, and, but not rigid roles. So we've moved out of the rigid roles. I'm the man and I do this and you're the woman and you do that. That, that we've really moved away from. There are still some hangers oners or sort of some threads, loose mm-hmm. ends of the rigid roles, but more and more relationships for midlifers are negotiated roles, which is what just just go back for a minute, what millennials do, and they go, duh, what do you mean? Yeah. Well, how else, how else would you do it? So, you know, that's so, so give us an example. I, I, I yeah. can give you one just this weekend. My niece is 24. <laughs> I, I mean, really, because she's saying this, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just experienced this. And she is a serious young fella. And we were talking about, you know, their future. And he's like, well, I'll just be a stay-at-home dad and she can make the bank because she has a very good degree. And that they said that like they were saying you know, the sky's blue. There was nothing shocking about it. There was nothing absurd about it. It was just like, hey, we might do this. And so I love that they're open to all the options. But I do want to go and back. I'm over here like, no, <laughs> my man needs to work. You better get out there and work. toil. You better work mm, for if Christina. I'm hustling, she's you better hustle. But see, that is like what she's, uh, these Mm-mm. gender roles and- right relational roles I'd love to spend a little time on that because I do see what you're saying there is some shift but when you've grown up like Christina and I have you know women in our 40s and 50s that's a lifetime and even my own father has recently said I'm not good at cleaning this house Um, that's woman's work he said that to me and I almost I'm like who what is wrong with you now he's 86 probably not going to change I'm sorry 88 now um and but I see what you're saying that there is some shift because my husband doesn't mind to do some dishes. He loves to do laundry actually, but there's something in me. If I see him doing dishes, I feel a little guilty. Like I failed. Mm -hmm. So there's something, I can see what you're saying deeply ingrained in me that even though I, in my educated brain, think this is okay. There's something in my soul almost and my deep consciousness that feels some guilt about that. So it let's spend some cellular. time on that. Yeah, it's cellular. And we're, we're not in a generation going to shift out of all of that. It will take a couple more generations. Um, one of the, so those areas are sex, money, right? We, we still handle money in sort of archaic ways, uh, many midlife men still believe that they can say no 
to stuff. It's like, no, I'm an adult. You're an adult. We are bringing our 100% adults to this relationship. We are peers. We are equals. We are cohorts. My late husband, Mark, used to call us co-CEOs. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and there's no no. We don't say no to each other. It's like, what, why would you say no to a peer? Uh, and so one of the things that, that is important to shift is to recognize that we are peers, we're equals, and that there is no no. That if I talk about wanting to do something or not do something, or I, that the, 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 the response is, tell me more. Oh, mm-hmm. I want to know more about that. And then the next question is how, how will we support you to do that? How will we support you to do that? That is a mindset shift and it is a, a challenging mindset shift um, for, for midlife. Now, just to be clear, we're not talking about anything you're uncomfortable with sexually or anything that involves physical abuse. We're talking about roles. Oh, right. Anything that you're uncomfortable about, say no, take safe space. That, that's, that's absolute. That's the guardrail. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you're being abused or think you're being abused, feels like abuse. It feels if it like walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And be sure that you are safe. Mm-hmm. This is interactional, interrelational. This is when you and I are co-creating ways that we are going to share space, live together, build a future together, be involved and invested in each other's present and future. Well, I love this. And and Dr. Jackie, I have to say this because, you know, my husband and I just got married to each other. It'll be three years in, um, in July. And it has taken us some time to get to this space because we were we were running our lives by ourselves for so long. Girl was long. really running her life. Yeah, just like I was, you know, I was over here and he was over here. And then to come together and have to say, okay, let's talk about, you know, what we're going to do how we're going to do it. And we do have to say no to each other sometimes. Like, is that, but we talk about it. So it's like, <laughs> is that the best thing Somehow for this season right now? I feel like there's a right lot now? of no from Kevin. <laughs> no, I think, I think both of us have this, we, we balance each other is what I like to say. We have a discussion and that discussion comes full circle, but it's, it's that we ask each other questions in order for us to think about, is this the best decision for, for you? And is this the best decision for us? And then we come together again and have a and conversation. And then Kevin says, no. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Well, Jackie, this, this, you have to know, because Dana is, sound, she's five feet like of, no. No, she's five feet of hot pepper sauce, and Christine is always going to need some guardrails. That's just the way it is. She's always going to. But big old Kevin, he he's no match for Christina. If she wants her way, she'll just you know. Did you, what do you think as we go through these changing roles that have been in place for, since the nineteen fifties that we saw our parents live out? 
does that put us in a, are we conflicted in this generation because that has not come to fruition yet? Or is that just part of it that it's developing and it's changing and it's shifting all the time? I think some people are conflicted and some people push back a little harder than others. But I think as a, as a group of people looking at marriage, there are a few things. One is that some people are really comfortable in some of the roles. I love being married. I love being married. I, and I have been once divorced and twice widowed. Wow. And I, I, I had two amazing husbands, very different from each other. Gary Black and Mark Rohde, very, very different from each other. And I was happy, like happy in my soul and in our relationships and who I, who I was in, in both of those, um, in both of those marriages. So I, I think that if you're happy, if the way that the two of you are interacting and relating and interrelating, and it fills you and it matches for you, that's one thing. If it doesn't quite fit or you're bumping up against each other uh, or, or you're really missing big parts of yourself or doing stuff that, that you don't want to be doing, that's when, when the, when, when you need to sit up, stand up, I was going to say, sit down and talk, stand up and step in and say, time out. I want to let you know that this isn't working for me. And I'd like us to figure out what would work better for me. And I want to hear what's not working for you and what would work better for you. So that the foundational piece is win, win, win. I win, you win, we win. And that's essentially what you said, Christina, uh, mm-hmm. is that we talk about it and, and it, it works for everybody and it works for us. And I think that was, that's key. There are yeah. so many people that stop it. I win, you win. And don't go the next piece, which is we win. Is this good for our relationship? Is this, does this match our shared vision? So many couples mm. don't have a shared vision. Is this aligned with our shared vision? Is this going to help us get to where we want to go? If not, do we still want to go there? And, you know, I think, Dr. Jackie, that sometimes we avoid those hard conversations about what is the vision? What do you, like my husband, I just had a discussion about, I want, you know, I want to make sure we're in alignment these next few years because we're transitioning into the time period when my husband's going to look at retirement and you need to be really aligned on what that's mm-hmm. going to look like. You know, income, yes. time around the house. What are we doing with that extra time? And sometimes we don't put a stick in it to stop and have the conversations during the different seasons. But here's what I'm hearing you say. <clears throat> that as these <clears throat> midlife couples, as we're in this generation of transition, I'll call it. Is that fair to call it that? Mm-hmm. Paradigm shift. The key seems to be that you're both in the same vein of transition or you're both seeing these transitions in a similar way and you're both in the same kind of place as far as the shifting roles of gender and, you know, 
husband-wife relationships. Is that, if, am I understanding that correctly, that the, the two in the relationship need to be traveling that road in, in a similar cadence? It's a happier place when you're walking that path uh, and you're open with each other about how you're walking the path and what you need from each other and, and what your personal. So there's three parts. There's self-knowledge, partner knowledge, and the essential relationship success skills. So each person has to have really solid self-knowledge. And we have to be willing to share that self-knowledge with our partners so they have strong partner knowledge. And that's okay. very new for a lot of people. Um, it's new for, for couples to know what they want individually. If you talk to men and talk to women, there was a lot in the old paradigm. There was a, a lot of focus put on how we should do it. And so now it's, does it work for me? Does it work for you? And then how right. do we weave those threads to make a very beautiful, very strong, sustainable weave? I love because that. Because that's the, that's the thing so that happens. What were the three parts again? You said self-knowledge, partner knowledge, and? Essential relationship success skills. You know, the man that grooms my dog and cuts his hair has more education and training and certifications and licenses than we do to have a long-term primary monogamous romantic relationship. Pretty much hmm. all we have are, are what we saw in our parents. Exactly. Right. Which is, right. which is why we're in a paradigm shift. Exactly. Right, the model so pivotally different than my mother. My mother was a woman of deep contentment. She made a decision and she was content in her decision. There was no reason to ever rethink it or even ask if you were happy. Happiness did not matter. She's content. Yeah. And, and my mom I love happiness. <laughs> yeah, well, and my mom loved to serve. So like she would serve my dad. She would, you know, she would cook, cook every night. Um, made sure that my, my dad was served first, you know, always made sure the dishes were done, the, you know, house was cleaned, all that stuff. And now I'm, I'm in my marriage and I'm like, I don't want to cook. Like, well, you know, uh, is it fair to say that. that generation, those women got value in that. That's how they were seen as yes. valuable yes. and, you know, as fulfilling the roles properly. And as we shift you got to make sure you've got a husband that's experiencing that shift. Like, I am so blessed. My husband does not care as long as there is some food from somewhere. He does not care if it's <laughs> dine-in, carry-out, out of a can, frozen. Oh, you're I lucky. grew it and cooked it. He does not care. <laughs> you're lucky. And so that's a very good fit for us. Yes. So the paradigm was that women would be in the home, they would take care of the home, they would raise the children, and men would be in the world, they would make the money, and for all of those goodies, they would get consistent sex. Oh, that, food that and was sex, the, that's that, all they need, yeah. and laundry. <laughs> that was, like, that was the, the paradigm, that was the, that was the agreement. And women would have um, social security and acceptability in the culture. 
And so you can see that as women started to work more and more and more and be out in the world more and more and more, um, that that needed to shift. One of the interesting things that, um, not so much midlife because children are older, but a little bit younger than midlife before we get into the millennials. Women are still having this push-pull with being in the world, being successful. They could be six or seven-figure earners. And they come home and they have to still do all the parenting. And there are some Mm -hmm. underlying expectations about dinner and laundry and that kind of stuff. It is the rare exception that those partners are actually partnering in all of the at-home stuff after they come in from being in the world. I remember feeling that way, not that my husband demanded it of me, but I, as a woman felt guilty. Like I said before about like when I see my husband wash dishes, there's a part of me that feels a little bit guilty. And I was building that career, but I still felt this huge responsibility as a woman to do all these womanly jobs. And so that wasn't about my relationship or my husband. That was about me and what I thought about womanhood and the shifting roles of motherhood and womanhood because of what I had seen from my mother. And I really had a hard time with that internally having nothing to do with the way my husband reacted to it. So is it true that women, uh, you know, sometimes have these conflicted feelings and thoughts because of what we've been taught. I think it is true and rarely true. I think more women than not don't have husbands like yours. And they they are in a struggle uh, to have that shifted, mm-hmm. to have that be seen differently yeah. by their husbands and to have them really jump in and partner with them. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I, keep going back to my marriage because my husband and I are very much traditionalists. Like we, we like traditional roles, um, except for when it comes to my businesses being very busy and his businesses being busy. And it's like, okay, well, where, where are those traditional roles then when we're both running? And that's where we feel that tug of war with each other. It's like, okay, somebody has to, somebody has to, um, yield in order for, for us to have food, you know, to eat or go get food to eat or have laundry, um, clean things like that. But that, that's when I feel it. And I, I know that my husband feels it too. It's like, we're, we're in this like dance of tug of war and we're like, well, mine's important. No, mine's important. No, mine's important. You know? And, uh, I think that that's a challenge. So what we've come up with is like, there are seasons where his business is just really, really busy. And so I've, I've said, okay, I will take that on while you're really, really busy. But in your slow months, you'll need to take this on because that's when I can ramp up. And, and so we've tried to, we've tried to have some you sort of, how revolutionary. well, we did, but it was, it was a challenge because he was wanting something very traditional. Like he wants me to cook and clean and do all. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't do, I don't do that stuff. Like, seriously, Have like you we met me? pay people to do that. You don't get a woman that looks like this that wants to do all that, Kevin. Come on. Exactly. I'm just saying. Um, but I, I, I love that we're talking about the paradigm shift. I love that we're talking about, um, 
I love how, that we're talking about it being generational because yes, this is, yes. you know, it's hard to undo what you saw in your parents. Now, I do think there's a right. thing of, like, I kind of wanted to run from what my parents did. I, my mother was a stay-at-home mom my entire, since I was um, 15 months old. She was a scratch cooker, dinner on the table every night at six. We did not eat out. She did all the laundry, all the housekeeping, all the everything. And I knew I did not want to do that. But there is something still in my brain that tells me that that is somehow my responsibility. So it's a weird dynamic that I have dealt with. And thankfully, my husband, being as he is, that's helped me to personally work through that. But, you know, on the other hand, I don't mind to mow the lawn either. I grew up mowing the lawn. I grew up working in the Mm -hmm. garden. I grew up playing sports. So outside's very comfortable to me as well. And But I've had friends who didn't pump their own gas. And I'm like... If I waited on my husband to get my gas, I wouldn't be going anywhere. What are you talking about? So when we think about this. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, I want to hear what you have to say. Well, I was just thinking um, that when I was in corporate and I was um, a a senior, a very senior person in a corporate level, I I was in the top 2% of women executives in the country. There weren't a lot of women at that time, but uh, I was very senior. And um, a colleague of mine was a woman much younger, and she was just great, just out of college, working for a real estate company. And she said to me one day, do you want to stop and have a drink and a bite of dinner before you go home? And she might as well have asked me to get on a plane and go to Europe for a month. (laughs) I love it. it. Right, I went. Yes. Uh, well, you do you want to do lunch? She said, we can do lunch and we can even have an early breakfast. But let's, so I went home and I said to Gary, so Lynn is suggesting that we stop and grab a drink and a bite to eat on the way home. And he said, that sounds great. I said, it does. He said, well, of course, I know how much you guys like each other and you'll be relaxed. You'll have a chance to really chat and and I said, well, well, what are you going to do? And he said, I can stop and pick something up on my way home. I can cook. I can order in. He said, I have choices. Mm-hmm. That brings and it up. was so sort of duh for him. This is, and this is many I years ago. That. Right? And, and the first couple of times we did that, I was suffering through dinner. Because it was that same in my cells that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, I understand that. And, right, and then I and then I sort of got into it, and and then I shifted a lot of those kinds. But don't of you see this a time. lot with women that we make assumptions of yes. what our husband expects mm-hmm. of us? We like my husband will tell you, he'll say, "I don't mind to iron my own shirt. I don't mind to run the laundry. I don't mind to do some." I mean, he'll say that all the time, and I realize that I'm the problem. And what I'm thinking, he doesn't have that expectation. So I want to shift a little bit to the changes taking place in this midlife season. Because Christine and I, this is how we wound up with Midlife Moxie. You know, we mm-hmm. were talking about <clears throat> kids growing up. And a lot of women, like, I was around my brother and sister-in-law this weekend. And they're getting, they're slowing down their careers in their 50s. I was really committed to my children earlier and all my career goals had to work around the children. So I've like kind of kicking up my career goals now that the children are gone. So it's just a totally different dynamic, but what 
as there's all these changes that women may be slowing down or speeding up their careers, they're having hormonal changes, they're menopausal, they're sweating, they, they're they entering that season. Um, you know, for me, it was a realization, you know, even though I plan not to have any more children, when it, that's definitive, that makes you feel a little some sort of way. There's all these things going on. How does that impact marriage in this season of life? Impacts marriage hugely. Uh, so if you're gearing up because your children are gone or they're at least self-sufficient and you're gearing up and getting busier most of the time uh in your 50s mid 50s late 50s early 60s men are slowing down and they're looking at retirement and that creates huge problems in marriage do you know that the divorce rate is about 50 percent for people who are retiring wow so is that higher or the same are you saying than other... Oh, it's way higher. Oh. Higher than, than it's what? Higher, it's higher than it has ever been for couples when one person retires. Wow. Divorce higher, rates higher, are higher. higher right now. Higher. Than historically, than you're saying. Than they have been historically for people retiring in that retiring category. Wow. And what do you attribute that to? Well... So let's sort of look back. When Social Security was developed and uh, they came and, and up with age 65, how did they do that? They did that from the actuaries because people had a life, men had a life expectancy of 66. Wow. So, yes. So you see the problem with Social Security now that people are living into their 70s and 80s and expecting that check to come in. Yeah. It was it was set up for a year right. between retirement and, okay, so now women are very active at 60 and 65. Oh, my and, mom is super active. She's 70 and she's trucking around everywhere. Right. She's and she's, on and, the she's <laughs> and she's got her routines and yep. she goes to lunch with her girlfriends or they come yep. over or she's on the phone yep. with them. She's checking in with people in the morning over coffee, mm-hmm. right? I, and now a man, her husband, not your father, uh, in this hypothetical. So the man is home and the mm-hmm. phone rings and she's on the phone an hour, hour and a half. And what is he going to do? Naturally, he's going to walk in and say, who is that? Yeah. That sounds like a little thing. It is not a little thing. And then at the end of the day, he's going to say, this is real. Uh, are you always on the phone that much? Do you always go to lunch every day? Do you do you always buy that much at the grocery store? Oh, they're they're noticing things now. Yes, because things they're that they there. there. And all of the stuff that happened outside their conscious awareness that they didn't care about when they got home, they're there and they're curious. They're not mean. They're not right. limiting. They're not having any problems. But as they're a woman, when a husband asks that, oh my God, it feels accusatory. The well, but, exactly. but then what happens? So let's let's take this because I'm I'm looking at this scenario as wife and and husband were in the workforce, traditional jobs, you know, nine to fivers, things like that. They come home, retire. Um, and, and things start to shift. What happens or what have you seen from the couples that are just entrepreneurs? 
have always been in the home who work from home because this is where my husband and I are at. We work in the home. So we see what's going on with each other on a daily basis. What kind of um, things have you seen in, in that so arena? Entrepreneurs get divorced 10 to 15% more than the national average of the U.S. Oh, yeah. dang. I do know that. Yeah, I do know that. Yeah. And so there are a few reasons for that. People who have businesses who are entrepreneurs love their businesses mm-hmm. where we wouldn't have them. And it's fun for us to work. It's fun for us to be in our businesses, right? We are well, energized. Well, we tend to We're let it fed. spill over it's everything fuel. else. Yes, because it's fuel for joy mm-hmm. and for the just the life force. Mm-hmm. So when two people are entrepreneurs, you really have to co-create the we very intentionally, yeah. very mindfully, and very consistently. If one person starts to back off and they're working less and less, there is a normal, it's very normal, it's very natural need to be with your partner more. Mm-hmm. I'm working less. I'm working may, you know, way less. I have more time. And the more time I have, the more I want to spend with you. And if the partner is still working a lot or worse, gearing up, that the gearing up, women who are starting their businesses or becoming successful later in life, uh, and they're in their businesses having a fabulous time, making a lot of money, and their husbands start to retire, there's a big problem with leisure time, with mm-hmm. taking off and traveling, with mm-hmm. vacations, uh, and there's there's a lot of discord mm-hmm. because they're at very different places. And again, being very intentional and deliberate about how you're going to co-create the we and what everybody can expect. And then if you're going to agree to something, and your partner has expectations because you mutually co-created the expectations, you have to honor those expectations. You can't have some fun thing going on or something that needs you. You really must always honor the, um, the expectations that you set with your partner for the we. So let me- That takes let a me... lot of work and a lot of mm-hmm. high-level communication. So I'm trying to translate this into layman's situation, (laughs) see if I'm getting this right, what you're saying. So if the expectation has always been that your husband was going to retire at a certain age, but you're planning to keep on working in your mind now, but the discussions you've always had were about moving to the beach or doing a lot of travel. If I'm understanding you correctly, if you then start saying, I can't go because I've got work or I need to do this. That is, that's what you're kind of talking about that. That wasn't the expectation. That wasn't the agreement. And now you're kind of reneging on what that expectation was. Is that kind Mm -hmm. of what you're describing? Right. Right. So you have to come back to the table and renegotiate Mm -hmm. all of the agreements and all of the expectations and assumptions that both people have. And that is very hard. And, and often very painful. It is. Is the, Does the you. same kind of thing apply <laughs> when people take up new hobbies in this season? Because I've seen people take up hobbies that take over their life. They become a ballroom dancer. Or they take up golf like a crazy person or they become, you know, the bingo queen. Do the same kind of things or apply? Or crafting. Bingo. I have clients, one of them took up crafting. 
and she's loving it and did a little Etsy store as a lark. And she's got this major thing going on. Nice. And yeah, on a lot of levels. Yeah. And um, she was in the craft room recently and um, her partner didn't even, it was a Sunday morning, Sunday late morning and didn't even say hello because, you know, one partner didn't want to disturb the other partner. And and um, she felt really ignored. Hmm. And she said, all right, well, I'll just stay here and do that. And, and, and he felt ignored because she was occupied and didn't want to bother her, didn't know what the... So they they have not talked about that. They need to talk about that. Yeah. There has to be, when, when when you get up, if the second person who gets up has to interact, has to engage, there has to be a hi, hello, what are you up to, hugs, kisses, something. You have to engage and start to um, be the we. I love that you're saying be the we, because I think so many times we see in society that there's no we. It's just I, 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 me, 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 me. And when we get into relationships, it has to be we or or why are we in a relationship, right? I just love that. I love the we. Right. I, I, I like well, that I languaging. Defining it. Like if once your husband mm-hmm. does retire or if your husband is home more, or maybe you're home more because you're not running the kids around and he's working from home. We kind of have to define what we want our day to look like. My husband's an early riser and I'm a late night. Gail is night, not. She she likes her late nights. But you know, (laughs) we've each found our alone time because he's going to be up a few hours before me. He has his alone time and does his things. I'll save things to do at night rather than doing them during our together time, if I've got something creative to do on the computer, a lot of times I will say that till he goes to bed at night and then work on it. So I'm not taking anything away from him. So I think getting in sync is one of the best things we can do. We can only do that by communicating, observing, yes, really talking yes. about what our partner needs and desires. My husband does not need me to be around him 24-7. Some people do. My husband is incredibly independent. He loves our together time, but he just, he's not needy in that I'd be under his armpit. In fact, he would prefer that don't, especially because I'm talking, um, you know, all the time. So we got to know who our partner really is. And I'm just going to throw in that Enneagram again. I know for me and my husband, understanding myself through things like the Enneagram and understanding him has enabled me to communicate in different ways. Because now when I communicate with him, instead of pointing out his deficiency or what he's at fault for, what he's not, I talk in terms of what my needs are. You know, it's my problem. I'm the one that has the need or the desire. He has a choice to feel it, but that way I'm not making him feel defensive or deficient right out of the gate when I open my mouth. I'm like, I have this need. And it's very different to say, I have a need to spend more time with you. I love you. I love being around you than to say, you never spend any time with me or you're terrible. So Mm -hmm. I think I'm hearing you say communication is critical in all the seasons and we should do it regularly and we should revisit who we are and what, what we want life to look like is, is, is that what you're saying? 
Yes, and you just clearly articulated the law of iMessage feedback, which is not you, 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 it's I. I would love to spend more time with you. We need to stop saying you. If there's something that's going on, what do you need? What do you want? What do you like? What's not working for you? What would you prefer? And to, it's very vulnerable to do that. Very vulnerable. But iMessage feedback and communicating from our eye is essential and it's a game changer. So I love that. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, when I'm deal. vulnerable versus aggressive, that gives him the opportunity to step towards me. And meet my need rather than step back away from me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, There's no, we we will never get what we want by being confrontational or aggressive or harsh or diminishing. Never. We'll never get what we want. (laughs) Christina's blinking quickly. (laughs) Well, no, no, no. I think the other, the other part too is, is I had this, this issue with, with my husband is like, I just expected him to know you know, oh, and yeah. then, and then that, that's like, that's stupid. Why would he know what's going on in my head if I don't express that he, you, you assumed he knew and uh, intentionally yeah. let you down. Right. And it's like, well, yeah, that's going to happen every time because I didn't communicate mm-hmm. my need. And so now I don't even do that. Like I hear women say that all the time. Oh, well, he should just know. No, men don't Impossible. just know. You guys, like if you are a midlife woman on listening back today, I want you guys to just take ownership. Like you guys really need to take ownership. Tell people what you need, because if you don't, closed mouths never get fed, right? I mean, that's that's the old saying. So I had to I had to use my big girl words and I had to say, hey, I think it falls I into this. that whole martyrdom complex that we. Yes. Somewhere we yes. decided that was a good um, strategy. And it's not. Well, well, Dr. Jackie, go, go for it, girl. (laughs) There's another part of that, which is so often women don't believe that they deserve Mm. what they want. So you have to honor your own need. You have to, to honor and own, that's the word I was on search for. You have to honor and own your own need and you have to know absolutely that your need is legitimate no matter what it is before you can ask for what you want mm-hmm. mm. and I think that applies to all relationships because we've talked here about friendship about use your big girl words you're not a toddler use no. your words if you want some friends ask for some if you want some fun ask for some That's if right. you want to go do something invite yourself I invite myself places all the time if that offends someone <laughs> they can just be offended but I'm not going to sit home and whine about being lonely or bored if I didn't raise my hand and say I want that right I did that with my children I could not tolerate whining so I would say use your words in your own voice. And they'd look at me and I'd say, I want, mom, may I have? And they thought that really quickly so that there was no more whining and I could, now, of course, a lot of times kids don't know what they want, but they can say, I, I, I don't know what I want, but say it in a voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, right. And we, sure so you're right in all relationships we need, but that, but that's the problem. We don't and let you know, the ourselves difference there know would be, what we want. Like if you look at your mm-hmm. husband and say, you know what I would love? 
I would love if you planned a date for us in the next few weeks versus saying, you never take me anywhere. That's just received completely different. You never take me anywhere does not motivate anyone. They will do it out of spite, out of begrudging and obligation, but it's not going to near. just be hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they do it, it's not going to be what you really wanted. There are so many men. So women come in and then they say, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm loved. Like, well, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Right? What does that mean? There's no way for him to know what it is you need or want from him that would make you feel loved. There's no way. He's never going to know. So I help couples reduce everything down to doable behaviors. Doable behaviors. If you can't articulate a behavior that would make you feel loved and valued and special and treasured, then you have the task. He does not have the task to make you feel that way. You have you are tasked with figuring out what it is that what what are the behaviors and the words that would make you feel warm and yummy, and then ask him. There's a great exercise. Um, we, we have CE, they're called CEQs in, uh, in NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Everybody has their own CEQs about a lot of stuff. So I have an interview process that uh, I have husbands and wives, even if they're married 40 years. Um, and so one of the questions on the interview process, uh, and you have a lot of your own questions, but I give you some prompts. One of the interview questions is, how could I hug you so that you would know that I loved you so much and that you were the most important person to me? This is a great story. So um, I had a couple of years ago and she, he asked her this question. He was very serious. He had his clipboard and his patent. And she said, oh, come with me. And she grabbed his hand and she led him to the kitchen. And she stood in front of the sink and there was a big window that looked out over a beautiful yard. And she said, okay, stand behind me. So he stood behind her and she said, okay, put your arms under my arms and then clasp them together. And so he did this, he said, okay. She said, now put your face on the left side of my neck, not the right side, the left side. So he didn't. She said, no, tilt your head a little bit more. Get a little closer, a little bit more. Yep, right there, right there, right there. Now squeeze. And she melted. Hmm. She just melted. And he would never have known to do that. Never. So we have to ask these questions. And the prompts in the interview get people talking so that they can get closer and closer to being able to know and then ask for what they want. I think we need these prompts, Dr. Jackie, for our <laughs> listeners because we, well, here's what we do at Midlife Moxie. We love to give actionable items to our um, community. And, and it doesn't have to be all the questions, but just a few so that, you know, our our community can have a better and enriching relationship with their partner. You know, I, I, I love that question and it is so valuable because, you I'm know, laughing. I love a hug. I, was, I love a hug in front. I thought she was going to ask like, for some hip action. Come uh, up behind me. <laughs> Grind those hips on me a little, a little bit. A little thrust. That's what I'm envisioning <laughs> at the kitchen window. I mean, you can see what I think about my husband these days. He's still a hobby. <laughs> 
I'm laughing. But that may be oh, someone's Lord. desire. But for another woman, yeah. if you only come at them, if you came at them sexually and not just affectionately, that can be a turn off. So I love that. Oh, and sure. I love telling people what makes you feel loved because that's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. And it gives someone the opportunity to, to fulfill our need. And when people have that opportunity and they're clear about it, a lot of times they will rise to the occasion. But we as women have liked to play that game of, well, he should just know. He should read my mind. And ladies, that's a setup for both of you. No one's going to win at that game. And it's going to wind up with a lot of hurt. Lower, you know, get your confidence up. Know who you are. And say, you know, or even, I know for me it's it's felt really good and I'd I'd love to get your opinion on this, Dr. Jackie, like when my husband does the right thing, or I think he's kind of on the right track to really affirm that I'll say, you know, I love it when you do that, or I love it when you spend time with me, like you did yesterday, that just makes him want to do it more rather than saying, you don't do enough of that, you know, it's two things. You're absolutely right. It makes them want to do it more. And Mm -hmm. It tells them, it signals, this is something that you can do that I will love each and every time because they want to be our heroes. That's right. You know, when we talk about archetypes and relationships, you know, we're we're shifting roles, but archetypes are here forever. Mm. And, uh, and, And men love to love us. And they love it when they know that they have loved us in a way that just makes us melt. Yeah. So we want to affirm that. We want to let them know that this is it and I feel it. And then it sends the unmistakable signal, do this more. And they go, ah, great. I'll put that in my toolbox. I know how to do that. Well, that's those are the 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 things that uh, my husband and I definitely have conversations about because I'm like, you know, I loved it that you put my arm, you put your arm around me at church. It just made me feel so good. So like every time he does something that I absolutely love, I just continue to affirm it. So that way it just registers and it's like, yeah, that just becomes like almost automatic, but just like those things I enjoy. And well, you know, people want to win. Mm-hmm. They want to yeah. know. Yes. They want to win. Yeah. And when you make them feel like they can only lose, no one's mm-hmm. going to want to step up. But when you make them feel like here's your chance to win, they're going to want to step into that. But I want, well, and that leads us back to what she said in the beginning. I win, you win, we win. We. I loved it, just the we part you know? of this. We need yeah. T-shirts, Christine, that say we. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, C, G, and D, and a big we. I can see this coming. Okay, oh. I want to I want to shift a little bit because our time is running short, as per always on Midlife Moxie. I want to specifically address the issue. If you've rolled into midlife, in between the busyness, the children, the soccer games, the room moms, the Girl Scouts, the jobs, you've become a, a little distance from your partner. Hmm. Give us some quick remedies. I, and I don't mean the remedy is going to be quick, but just quickly list for us some ways that we can reconnect in this season of life. Because my husband and I are in a season of we weren't really unconnected, but we're connecting more deeply and dating each other again because we, we were second marriage. We've always had children. We are hot dang excited that the little turds are 
doing their own thing. I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I mean, of course we missed them, but I'm not going into depression over an empty nest. I'm excited to be with my husband, but everybody has different situations. So we want to lean into your expertise about this season in particular. Hmm. Well, the vast majority of couples in this season uh, are, are roommates. They're just friends. They have lost that yumminess and lost that sexual tension between them, unfortunately. And so I like to talk about romance. Intimacy is very complicated. Um, intimacy and vulnerability. You can't talk about intimacy without talking about vulnerability. And when couples are just friends, generally, there is um, a dynamic going on where both neither person or neither person feels particularly safe emotionally or both people feel unsafe more or less. So let's talk about romance. And these are all behavior driven. So for example, you can say words, say to your partner, um, there are three or four of them. You can say to your partner, I want you to know how much you matter to me. That's it. I want you to know how much you matter to me. Okay. Can I, can I back up right there for just a second? Because sure. you, I think you said these were action driven. Is that the term you used? Yes. They're all action driven. And that is action. And that you would mean versus hormone driven or, or sexually no, driven. Uh, no, action driven means that you do or say something specific. Okay. And so the thing that you are saying is you are sending a message, a literal message to your partner that they are important. It's direct. I want you to know how much you matter to me. Mm -hmm. You, your being in my life makes my life better. I am better because you are here with me. I want to go back to that term romance, um, because I think in this season, there are a lot of sexual problems with couples between just the time, you know, the distance has grown between you, your vagina's dry, hormones, he yeah, may not hormones. be getting it up as well as he used to. I mean, there's a lot of things. And I, can you touch on the difference between, you know, sexual intimacy and romance? Because I really believe there's a difference because... My husband and I have been married a long time. We don't have to be humping like rabbits to be madly in love. I mean, we can be so sweet and romantic and not get it on. It doesn't always have to be getting it on. Right. It doesn't always have to be sex. And sex doesn't always have to be vaginal intercourse. Mm -hmm. So just let's be clear. Um, intimacy requires vulnerability. And you can be intimate and not be sexual. That's right. Please don't be sexual and be married to your partner and not be intimate. Mm -hmm. I love that. But you're also saying that you can be romantic without being sexual. And I, I was just going there. And you can absolutely be sexual, be uh, romantic without being sexual. Absolutely. Romance says, I care about you. You're important to me. I love you. Uh, that you're here makes me feel in my heart fuller, richer, better, happier. So Romance is more about, in the way that we're talking about it, romance is complicated too, but let's just say romance is about 
emotional connection, not physical, not, not, not sexual. But it's that it, we, we infuse our we with emotion, with joy, with happiness, with laughter, with fun, with um, um, that ch- being cherished, that, that sort of yummy, ooey gooey experience. I think that's, that's what so romance will important give important in this season because there's a lot of insecurity around sex in this season because of our body parts not working like they used to. And I think a lot of people, or I'm going to ask this question, do a lot of people pull back from the romance because of the physical problems with sexual intimacy? In, in my in my experience, the romance withers because relationships have become so transactional. Mm-hmm. Where are we mm-hmm. going and wh- what time do we have to be there and who's going to be there and when, when and what and who? It's this transaction. And when our relationships start being transactional, they stop being romantic. Mm. So we really it's want, powerful. yeah. Oh, thank you. So we really, really want to know to infuse the doing with the being. Mm. So we have we have down so far. Say to your partner, I want you to know how much you matter to me, and then your being in my life makes me better. Yeah, yeah. those what are, are just some- two examples of things okay. to say. Some of the things to do um, is you can hug your partner. Maybe they don't want uh, hugs. They don't like hugs so much. There are people who don't like big bear hugs. And uh, maybe you walk by them uh, and you squeeze their shoulder. You say, I'm on my way to the kitchen to get water. Would you like anything? And there's just this contact on the shoulder. Uh, Or putting your hand over their hand with a little squeeze. Something that is that's non-sexual, and but it makes a big impact. You know, I, I still love this. Uh, they don't do it. They men don't do it too much anymore. When a man would put his hand in the middle of my back and maneuver me to my chair in a restaurant, you remember? Oh, oh love yeah. that. Well, my husband, too. my oh, husband my does that when we're walking in crowds. He he moves me because I'm short and he's tall so he can see over everything and he just <laughs> well and I'm like stop I just need to go <laughs> oh <laughs> see so for me the message would be you can do that whether there's a crowd or not it can yeah. be nobody on the beach and there's something yeah. about that contact so and isn't love that great, it. right? We love it. You don't. And it, that's that's, <laughs> yeah. that's why we talk about this stuff right. because everybody has a different experience and we want to talk to each other about ourselves so that yeah. you know how to love me in a way that feels like you loved to me. Hmm. Do you see uh, that you can pull back from the romance if there's trouble in the sex department? Like if... If a woman's having a dry vagina or the man's Women, having trouble with ED, do they pull back from the romance because they think the two are women, connected? Sometimes women do. Mm. Sometimes women think, often mistakenly, sometimes very accurately, that if they 
engage in a little romance, their husband is going to think it's a green light for sex. Don't pull back from romance if that's what you think. Ask him if that's what he thinks and then have a conversation disabusing him of that. And then help him understand what the cues are for sex and, and, and that actually those cues better be showing up the day or two before. Mm. And don't you think it's important that we're open about our changing bodies and what's going on with us emotionally and physically? Yes. And if you are in a relationship and you have not been talking about these things from the beginning or for a long time, you're not going to all of a sudden be able to do that, even though it's helpful Mm -hmm. and it's, and it's, it would really get you where you want to be together. If you don't have a foundation where you are having conversations, then you have to go back to the beginning and learn how to have conversations. There are two conversation structures that I help couples learn. One is couples talk. It's a more casual, more open conversation structure, but it's still structured. And the second one is couples dialogue. It's very focused. It's very structured. And couples dialogue is for the purpose of being known. Um, And if there is any problem solving to do from anything that has come up in either of these conversations, the problem solving conversation happens separately. Mm. So you don't problem solve if you're having couples talk or a couples dialogue. These are conversations when we are really sharing with each other things that that we are thinking about or that's going on with us or that we need or want or like or don't like or it's more sharing level. So can we circle back to the reconnecting? The kids are gone because we've just got a few more minutes. Really practical tips like travel. Is that a good idea? Finding a hobby together, scheduling date nights. How can we be really proactive to reconnect with our partner in this new season when we're not just being mom and dad or, you know, all Mm. these things? Yeah, That's one of the questions on the interview. (laughs) I love it. If you could spend two and a half hours with me, just you and me doing something fun, would it be morning, afternoon, or evening? And what would it be? I love that question. And couples garden together. They cook. Cooking is so sexy. Mm-hmm. Cooking I think together. there's something You have to bonding. have ground rules in the kitchen. Yeah. You know, but just... I think there's something that bonds you about doing something new together as well. Like my husband and I took shag lessons and we were both coming into that with no knowledge and no, you know, talent. So we were equal. We were there together and we were at the same pace together. And there's something very sweet about that, that just kind of bonded us to one another. And we have found that going places together, just getting away from everything because then you're in this little bubble almost. It's the two of you. You don't know anybody else. You almost have to talk to one another. We, um, Mark and I were both homebodies and we're both mm-hmm. out of the house working a lot. And he traveled. So for us, being home mm-hmm. was what going out was for you. We loved um, cooking. And we did a whole sort of mixology thing 
There's a very funny mm, story about it. That's fun. Yeah. We, that sounds fun. We play golf. And Sunday was a day that we played only with ourselves. We didn't include anybody else. Well, I love that. Um, yeah. Because sometimes so I think they're, in they're, this season, we when the kids are gone, we start trying to fill it with all these other people because of our loneliness. And sometimes yeah. we need to just look at our spouse and fill our lives with that. The thing about doing new things is you have to know yourself very well. I wouldn't be the best person in the world to do something new with if I was trying to create closeness and intimacy because I get frustrated when I don't do things well, mm. when, when they're new. And my brain knows I don't know how to do it and it should be fine. And there's another part that of just sort of irritation or just a sort of new. Thanks for bringing that and up. And so I wouldn't want to do something new because that's how I am. Thanks so for bringing I, that up I because wanna... that means we really have to know ourselves and our partner. We both love yes. new things. So we were bonded in the loving the new thing. I didn't really think about how that might not be best for someone else. Yeah. I love that. So it all comes down to communication is what I'm hearing you say, Dr. Jackie, and really self-knowledge and partner knowledge, putting forth our expectations, like what does retirement look like? Where if, even if we're going to travel, where do you want to travel? Even maybe putting that on a list is fair. Maybe it's both writing down and then comparing our list. Would that be a good exercise? Yeah. And how do we want to travel? Uh, and how do we want to plan? You know, do you want me, am I good at research and do I love it? Mm. Or do we both want to be on our computers on the deck and we'll both be doing it and send links back and forth? I mean, how, so there's, it's process. It's not just the doing, it's the process. It's the behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. How are we doing Sometimes planning how it is are we part of being the Being together in the doing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, here is my one last question for you, because we are way over as usual. How can you give us one good tip for remembering our love for someone? Because we fell in love with these people. We were madly in love with them at one point. Maybe we've just, it's not that we don't love them. We're just not thinking about it in that way, in that highly romanticized, uh, like you said, that yumminess kind of way. So what would be one tip to reconnect with our feelings towards a spouse, a partner, or even a new relationship, you know, after we've not been feeling that way towards anyone in a while? If you're really disconnected or your connection is waxing and waning, I think that um, sitting down and retelling your courtship, Sharing, it's a storytelling about your courtship often is very reigniting. But if we go back to the romance, you can bring home a surprise, bring home his or her favorite ice cream, or take out food for no reason on a Wednesday night, or tell her to sleep in and go take the kids to the park and meet together for lunch. Uh, if he takes out the trash uh, on Tuesdays, you take out the trash for a couple of weeks. If he's going to walk the dog at nine o'clock and it's cold out, go with him. Put on your coat and your scarf and and take a walk together. Mm. You don't even have to talk. You know, do some of the things. If she usually does the dishes, pull up a chair and hang out. You don't have to do the dishes, but just hang out. I love the one the about recounting your courtship because we met on a blind date and we love to tell the story because we had a pretty instant connection very early very very early it was it was 
it was strong. So I love telling that and you can't help but smile when you tell that and you remember that. So I love that tip. Gosh, yes, we're out very of time. Dr. Jackie, and we love to put people on the spot. So here we go. Would you come back and and go deeper with us sometime? I would love to come. I would love to come back. It, yes, it would be my pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, oh yay. I'm so excited because I know we have more questions and our community will probably have more questions yes. too, to be able to say, Hey, you know, we have, we have an expert coming on. I feel like what we scratched like the surface, to hear from her? don't you, Christina? We did. We did. Yeah. Just, just a little bit. But there's but more I, to I say. Mean, yeah, but we got actionable items, which thank you so much, Dr. Jackie, for those actionable items. I mean, our our community really loves them, and I know that they put them into practice because I've seen it, and Gail has seen it. And mm. um, we love to be able to give them that by bringing people on that have that you know, the tools for us. So yeah. thank you for that. And I love- You are so welcome. I love putting you words know, Awareness it. alone- is worthless. Right. If you can't operationalize the awareness, the awareness will do you no good. That's right. That's right. Well, you are fantastic. That. What a wonderful guest you've been. We thank, thank you guys. for your knowledge, your professionalism, your preparation, all the things. Can't wait to have you back. Christina, we got to get in there and get romantic with Dan and Kev. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm telling, I, I got some, I got some questions. I'm going to bombard him when I, he comes he'll home. be He's so excited be like, about that. <laughs> Maybe you should well, start bring, with, is this a good time them to on. chat? Uh, yeah. Oh, we should. We should bring them on next oh, time. Oh, my goodness. Dan would die. Oh. I, I, well, Dan, <laughs> so I would have to say, is this a good time for this conversation? Because yeah. he may be somewhere else. But gosh, what a pleasure, Dr. Jackie. We thank you thank so much. You. Yes. And going to kick it over to my girl, Christina. How do we always end our shows? Until next time, go and get your moxie on. Bye-bye.